Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I talk with Ryan Holiday, who is one of the world's best-selling living philosophers and most known for his writings on Stoicism, bringing an ancient truth into daily practice, truths that you can easily apply. We discuss his latest book, which brings a new and exciting take on discipline, particularly how to develop the practice of self-regulation and how this can help you accept what has happened and move forward with peace and determination. Ryan really challenges many accepted ideas and concepts, and some of my favorite highlights include moments when Ryan redefines these commonplace concepts in a beautiful, new way that just makes so much sense, such as his fresh take on the hustle culture and how focusing on details of a plan can be so much more beneficial keeping you in the process and making things more enjoyable. Ryan really challenged my thinking. On to today's podcast. Life can be hard and it's easy to feel stressed, anxious and out of control. What if there was a way to take back control? What if there was a practical way to detox your brain? This is now possible with NeuroCycle, the first ever scientifically tested brain detox app shown to help reduce an anxiety and depression by up to 81%. Users are guided through a variation of audio and video, brain exercises and mind management lessons every day. I'm excited to share some of the latest features in the app, including guides for children and parents, detailed feedback and recommendations, written guides through days 22 through 63 of the NeuroCycle, and an easy way to track your progress. There are over 500,000 NeuroCycle users worldwide, and the app has helped change thousands of lives, including people trying to find purpose in life, overcoming fear, better sleep, improved relationships, managing intrusive thoughts, depression and anxiety, and so much more. NeuroCycle is for everybody. No matter who you are, what you've been through, what you do, you have an incredible mind and brain that is always on and needs to be managed so that you can live your best both mentally and physically. This app is designed for individuals, couples, families, businesses or corporations, for everyone, everywhere. Join us by committing just a few minutes a day and see how your life is transformed. In just 63 days, you will have begun rewiring your brain for a happier and healthier life. Download the NeuroCycle app today and start changing your life one thought at a time. Just look for NeuroCycle on the iTunes App Store or Google Play or visit NeuroCycle.app. The link and more information will be in the show notes. Ryan, this is such an honor and privilege to interview you. You're a household name in our house and we just love what you do. And we just constantly, my one daughter is always commenting and making, hey, Ryan said this and Ryan said that. So, And in one of my books that I wrote in 2013, in the front, I put the Marcus Aurelius quote, which is one of my favorite, our life is what our thoughts make of it. And I've spent the last 38 years researching the neuroscience and the mind-brain-body connection of thoughts. And so really, this is just in my wheelhouse. I'm thrilled to interview you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's it's pretty nuts that, you know, 2,000 years ago, people who had no understanding of neuroscience or really biology at all could be so right about things that we're only just beginning to understand now. Absolutely. And I almost, I said to a lot of people that neuroscience went backwards and forwards at the same time, because when we found out about the brain, basically people lost, forgot about the mind and thoughts. And, you know, now I've been fighting for 38 years against a very neuroreductionistic philosophy. And I'm constantly referring back the ancient, what I'm teaching is what the ancient text texts taught us. And so, yeah, so we really are, I'm so thrilled to be doing, talking about this. So Ryan, you've got a new book coming out that is Super interesting, and I highlighted like 
I've got this purple throughout the book. And it's like so many things to talk about. You talk about discipline being destiny. That's the title of your book, Discipline Being Destiny. And I love that. So do you want to just, first of all, before we dive into your book, just give my listeners and viewers a bit of a background of who you are, what motivates you, why you do what you do. And they've heard your intro, but it's nice to hear the the little inside details from you. Yeah, sure. So I I write about stoicism, which is... On the one hand, it's sort of an obscure school of ancient philosophy, but in in my view, is the most sort of robust and applicable of all of the philosophies because they weren't sitting around talking about ideas or abstractions. These were real men and women who had real jobs in the real world who were trying to become better people in, in all senses of that word. I, I think what's particularly interesting to me about Stoicism is its two fa- most famous practitioners are Marcus Aurelius, on the one hand, the most powerful man in the world, the emperor of Rome, and his sort of philosophical guiding light is the philosopher Epictetus, who is a slave, born into slavery, disabled, has a terrible life in, in, in terms of you know, the injustices of his time, but finds a sort of an internal freedom and resilience in the philosophy. So in Stoicism, you have this kind of extreme power and extreme powerlessness. But the idea that fundamentally what we control in life is how we respond to things, that we have to live by a code, we have to have sort of a set of standards, we try to get better every day at this really hard thing, is what sort of gets me going as the writer, but also as as a human being who's on that same journey myself. Mm, that's an absolutely outstanding basic definition. If, if no one's ever thought about what stoicism is or that it could apply to them, you've just described how we can't actually live without it because it's it's basically how we as humans need to function as being decent humans. You know, and, and, and the practical side that you've explained from the one end, the powerlessness and the power is so interesting to find that balance. So you you have you create very challenging you write in a very challenging way, but a way that and it's good because it actually takes us to to think so deeply about who we are and what we're doing here. And but it's not just thinking, it's actually really it's thinking, feeling, and choosing that launches us into an action of how we should live our lives. So on the basis of that. Let's let's dive into your into your book because I think I mean there's just so many ways we could handle this. There's, I can go on your on your Instagram page and pull out things, but let's go into your book because that's that's really important. It's re- going to be released soon, and I would love you to first tell us why you've written this book. What's the motivation behind the book, and then let's work work through some of the concepts. Well, I'm I'm in the middle of of what will be a four book series on the I cardinal virtues. Yeah. So the the cardinal virtues for the Stoics, the sort of the philosophy, the virtues that the philosophy is built around, are courage, temperance or self discipline, justice and wisdom. So I did a book on courage last year. This book is the book about self discipline. I'm in the middle of writing the justice book now. But but Marcus Aurelius in Meditations, he says these are the 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 four most extraordinary values or traits that there are and he says that everything in life is an opportunity to practice one or more of these virtues so when we think about self discipline right you take a a person who's very dis- disadvantaged by life this is a person who's going to have to work harder who's going to have to do things that other people don't think are possible for them, right? They're going to have to be very self-disciplined if they want to get over this obstacle or or adversity that's in front of them, whether through, through no fault of their own, it's just the reality of their situation. This would be Epictetus, right? Yeah. Epictetus has to be incredibly disciplined if he wants to survive this horrendous fate that is Roman slavery. 
Now, the other end of the slavery, uh, the other end of the spectrum, you have Marcus Aurelius, who has all the advantages in the world. He has unlimited resources. He has unlimited power. This, too, is also an opportunity for self-discipline. No one is telling him what he can and can't do. So he has to be that voice. And we know that if he is not that voice, if we don't check ourselves, we end up crashing and burning all the same. So to me, what's so fascinating about self-discipline, why it's so important is that whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever phase of life you're in, self-discipline is the way forward, the thing that's that's going to make what you're trying to do possible. It's also, I think, when I say self-discipline is predictive, I mean that if you do the right thing, you'll, you know, uh, if you follow the discipline of the thing, ultimately you'll get where you want to go. But I also think there's something just intrinsically, inherently wonderful about discipline that if you're sweeping floors or, and you're doing that in a disciplined way, if you're in command of yourself while you're doing that, it itself becomes great. Right. And so I, I want people to think of discipline not just as a means to an end, but an end unto itself. I absolutely am so enthralled by what you said because a lot of the 38 years of my research has been developing systems to help people manage their mind. Because we've been told in the last 38 years that we don't have free will and that we sure. are a product of our genes and all this kind of stuff, which has actually created a more, more mental health issues than. You know, we've always been battling with mental health, but it's just made it worse. And so when you talk about self-discipline in the way that you've described it, it's basically teaching people to self-regulate and manage their minds and in that way respond to life. So that that is really amazing. Okay, so that's really, I love the fact that you, I'll tell everyone now, get the Courage book, get the self-discipline book, and then we wait in anticipation for the next two so that we can actually do what we're supposed to do and be decent humans. So, Ryan, I'm just going to go over to, hang on, which is the first thing I had? I wanted to go to your, there's so many points here. Okay, so in the terms of the four virtues, I love how you explain the Greek myth and how you start in the four virtues, the crossroads. Long ago, Hercules came to the crossroads. Can you just talk about that? It just kind of lays the foundation for this approach. Yeah, so there's this the, an ancient story. It actually comes to us from Socrates, but but the founder of Stoicism, Zeno, he hears this as a young man when he first comes to Athens and changes the course of his life. The the the, the premise of the choice of Hercules is not unlike Robert Frost's famous poem. There's you know two paths diverge in the wood. Which one are you going to take? And the choice of Hercules was between you know the path of ease the path of immediate gratification, the path of ego and selfishness, the path of the ordinary person. And then the other path, which would be the hard road, but makes one great, makes one a great man or woman. And this would be the path of virtue. This is a path that requires courage, that requires self-restraint, that requires a commitment to something higher than oneself, that requires learning and education, right? The four virtues. So we all come to this choice the choice of Hercules. Are we going to go the hard way or the easy way? And so when I think about the four virtues, I think about it starting there, the choice that, hey, I'm not just going to do what everyone else is doing. I'm not going to do what comes easiest. I'm not going to do what gets rewarded. I'm going to live by this code, these four ideas, and I'm going to let that kind of be my North Star or my guiding light. And that once we make this choice, we have to commit to it. It's not going to be easy. And, and so this series is, a, is start, all the books in this series start with that choice. And then we're, we're specifically digging in on, on what that specific virtue is going to demand from us. 
Many people lack energy throughout the day, but this lack of energy is a symptom of a bigger problem that is very difficult to gain control over, sleep deprivation. A lack of good quality sleep can affect your mood, hormones, weight gain, and many other factors, including your mental health. If you find yourself staring at your ceiling for hours trying to fall asleep, or if you wake up in the morning feeling like you don't get enough sleep, I invite you to try a simple bedtime routine that helps me sleep like a baby every night. All it takes is a glass of water and two safe and natural magnesium breakthrough capsules 30 minutes before hitting the pillow. The seven essential forms of magnesium in this full-spectrum supplement help you relax, unwind, and turn off your active brain from a long, stressful day so you can sleep peacefully and wake up feeling refreshed, vibrant, and alert. Magnesium Breakthrough has become a household name over the years because of its reputation. Just recently, the company released their fourth upgraded formulation that works even better than before. And for a limited time, BioOptimizers, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough, are offering additional bonus gifts for the next 1,000 customers or while supplies last. They are including free bottles of their full line of digestive health products, including their powerful digestive enzyme, Masszymes, their patented probiotic P3OM, and the HCL product to alleviate heartburn and acid reflux. These free products will support your digestive system so that you experience less bloating and gas throughout the day, which means less energy is spent trying to digest foods while you absorb more nutrients from the foods you eat to support optimal brain and body health. Just visit magbreakthrough.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and enter the code Dr. Leaf 10 to activate this exclusive limited one-time offer. This offer is only available at magbreakthrough.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. Just name the four virtues again. You've done the book on courage. This is on self-discipline and you're busy with justice and you're going to do... Um, Wis- wisdom, wisdom is the last virtue. It's the yeah. last one. Okay, so this is the one we're going to dive into, discipline. We'll have to have you back to do the courage and then the other. So we can that. have a four-part series and then we can kind of put them all... It'll sure. be a little back to front, but I'm sure it's fine. You know, it's not going to be a problem there. Okay, so I love that. So then the next thing I want to transition into, you actually covered this. So it would be a long journey, but you're going to, that's the worthwhile journey. Now, we we hear this so much, and it can be in our compete and compare culture and our hustle culture, because you touch on hustle and you touch on, you give it a totally different definition, which I really enjoyed. So this, so in our compare, compete, happiness industry, neuroreductionistic environment that we, quick fix environment that we live in, that seems to go completely against ancient philosophy. So we have catapulted ourselves into advanced science, which has almost taken us backward in terms of mind development. And that's an argument that I've been bringing to the table. It's not that we have a mental health pandemic arising. We have a mismanagement of mind of which we need to go back to the ancient text to help us relearn. That's kind of a springboard that I'd like you to just you know, bounce off and see what you take it in, down in your, your pathway. Yeah, I, th- I think we're we're all looking for hacks and shortcuts, right? And there are no hacks and shortcuts. I, I, I say in one of my books, it's about hacking it every day, right? Like I think you know, people are like, what's the secret to this? What's the what's the best way to do that? And 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 so much of it just comes down to one, showing up, you know, two, putting in the work, three, sort of following the process. Like I I actually wrap up this book with sort of the story of how I wrote it, and there was a moment. Uh, I'm on this track of four books a year, but I sat down to write the book and I, I, I don't know. It just wasn't, it wasn't there. I was quite worried about it. I, I didn't know if I had the material. I've been doing a lot. I, you know, I've been writing a lot. I was exhausted. And I found this, this note card that I'd written to myself. And I don't know when I wrote it exactly, but basically the note card said something like, follow the process, go through your note cards, take your time. The book will appear. And that's what I did. I showed up every day. I started 
going through the material that I've gathered. I thought about it. I, I you know, I started with the, the smallest thing I could start with. And I, and, you know, eventually, like, here we are talking, the book is done and, and I'm really proud of it. And that's how it goes for every project, for everything that you try to do in life, whether it's losing weight, whether it's trying to start a business, whether it's trying to build an audience, right? Like it, there's not this magical breakthrough thing. It's a slow iterative process. And, and the, the, the hardest part of the process is the more energy you spend thinking about outcomes about the thing, the distant thing way off the future that you're working towards, that's energy you're stealing from the present moment right now on the work that you could or should be doing. And so you learn to kind of trust the process to just do what you need to do. And you understand that finished stuff or change or weight loss or, you know, happiness, whatever the thing you're working on is, you trust that it ensues a little by little if you follow the process. Wow, that's so scientific and so anciently scientifically wise because it's so true. I mean, and I can relate. I've I've written many books and I just went through a similar process that you've just described. Just literally finishing off the final edits with my publisher it goes to layout soon. So you know the process. Yeah. And there was a point where I don't know how many times, and I'm not sure this has happened to you, Ryan, when you're writing a book, you think this is the way. Then you write all these pages up and that doesn't make sense. And you, you know, then you re-edit and how many layers of editing and and then suddenly it's this thing that's too long and the you know the, it's so and at some point you feel that this is just never going to work and then it suddenly does one day this thing comes together but they, it's not a boomerang one day kind of flashlights and whatever it just you know there's a little bit little bit and then you have a manuscript and it's something that now can be shaped but there was the times that you talk about where one wants to you know give up or you know panic maybe because the end goal is is seem because he's so focused on the end goal that we don't go through the process and all that stuff and just i say that to say as well scientifically one of the things that i've worked on a lot is the time it takes to get the mind to actually change the brain because mind and brain are not the same thing as we know from ancient texts the mind is mind brain body connection is really ancient wisdom so we see that one of the things that people and you've asked uh, You've probably read this and heard this a lot. It takes 21 days to change. It doesn't take 21 days to change. It takes a minimum of 63 days to get your mind in some level of discipline and management that you can drive the changes into your brain because your mind just uses your brain to then change your body, to then help you show up. And then it takes more time to actually stabilize that. And that then goes along with this whole time frame thing, but it goes against our current narrative in our current culture of the quick fix. So what I really love about your work is how it's actually teaching us to take that step back and work through this and, and embrace the process of learn of time, of of manage and, and managing through that process of time, which is very disciplined. Well, one one of the beautiful things about Mark Sprelius's meditations, uh, which I, I have a edition here. He, you, you're getting this book. It's not really a book. It's really a collection of the thoughts of the most powerful man in the world. And we don't know how long it elapsed, but we know that it came more or less towards the end of his life. And this is someone who's, who'd been considered wise for many years, who was admired by millions of people who'd done a pretty good job being emperor, hadn't been corrupted by power, etc., had been studying philosophy since he was a very young man. And still in, in meditations, he's constantly um, admonishing himself, reviewing himself, and working on himself. And in one passage, he even says this, he goes like, you're still an old man, and yet you're afraid of death. You know, you're losing your temper, blah, blah, blah. 
the point is like it, you yourself are a process and that there is no like moment that you get it, that you graduate, that you just have it on lock. It's, it's, it's a, it's a process in my book. I wrote this book a few years ago called ego is the enemy. And I, I, I borrow a metaphor from a friend of mine. We were talking about ego and he said, you know what? It's kind of like sweeping the floor, right? You sweep it once and the house is clean, but the dust is always coming back and you have to sweep over and over and over again. It's, it's a thing you do, not a thing you have done. Mm-hmm. And if we think of wisdom and virtue and self-discipline and all these things as that, that it's this ongoing thing, not a thing we have done, I think we get closer to it. I think that's so vital for if you just uh, transition over to, and I'd love your opinion on this, taking that uh, point of view to transition over to sort of mental health and, and well-being. When we recognize um, how you so beautifully put it, it's not a thing that we have done. It is a thing that we are doing. We take this, we look at what people have done and we pathologize that and medicalize the misery. Meanwhile, the misery is part of the doing. It's part of the process. It's part of, as Marcus Aurelius said, I'm old man and I still lose my temper. But that the fact that he can observe that, manage that change, that's what we're talking about here. That's the, okay, I've made the mess. This podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. It's okay to make that mess, but it's not okay to stay there. It's okay. You've, you've got to keep managing it all the time. Well, I think it's, you know, this decision or this understanding that you're not fixed, both positive or negative. Like you, Carol Dweck, obviously calls this a growth mindset, but this idea that you are an iterative thing and that who you were in the past doesn't have to be who you are in the future, but also that who you are now, whether you're on the top on top of the world, you're a master of your craft, et cetera, entropy is working on that always also, right? So like, exactly. as a writer, you learn very quickly, like, you start on page zero every time with your new book, right? And and that you, it's this thing that you're doing. And and the second you're like, I've done it, you know, that's when you know the decline begins. That and and, and you have to you have to love the the presentness of it that you mm-hmm. exist now in this moment. Are you doing the thing or not? Oh, so good, Brian. Do you ever find yourself when you start another book saying, going through it and thinking? This is the hardest book I've ever written. And then everyone tells you around you, you said that last time. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, like I'm a new writer. Every time I write a new book and I've written so many books, I'm sure you feel the same. Well, the, the hard part is you're, you lose the ability to remember where you were at this phase last time. So like when I'm, I'm in, I'm probably in the first third of this book that I'm writing now. I don't really understand where the first third of Discipline is Destiny was. At this point in the process, in because because it's not there anymore, right? Like you you compare what you're doing now with what you've done in the past, but that was the finished state, not the ongoing process state. And so you, you have to. One of the things you learn as a writer that I think you have to that that I, I see people struggle with just as human beings is it, you get good, you get comfortable with with first drafts, with crappy first drafts, yeah. as the expression goes, mm-hmm. and because. If it doesn't exist, you can't edit and improve it, right? So if you're, par- I have a chapter in Discipline Assessing about perfectionism, and and they say that another way to spell perfectionism is paralysis, right? If you need it to be perfect when it comes out, or always, you'll never actually get close to perfection mm-hmm. because you can't start with draft one to get to draft two to get to draft three. You can't edit and improve it or polish it if it doesn't exist. 
And so one of the things that writing teaches you is, is like getting comfortable with starting small, with starting somewhere and just sort of building from there. That's really good. That's brilliant. And also what about the process, which is so of, of you go back and you look at what you've written and I'm sure you, you've done this too. And you look and think, Oh, I needed to add this. I need to change that. It's a, you know, that you're always seeing things that could be better, even when you thought the book was finished. And that sounds like maybe it's a negative thing, but it's not, it's a positive thing because it shows that we have this constant ongoing process that yes, I have changed, even though this was a month ago or whatever, that you finished your final edit, you've grown or six years or one month or three months, whatever it may be. There's this constant ability that we have as humans and we should be looking back and seeing, oh, I've got new knowledge, new experience, so therefore I've changed. And, and look, as a writer, what I think about is not like how many words did I get done today or how much closer am I to the end? I think, did I make a positive contribution to the project today? So good. So, so some days that might be a whole chapter. It might be two chapters. Yeah. On, on another day, it might be I literally just tweaked the first sentence. <laughs> right. But, but that, percent, you know, is so, pa- it, it, that it changes everything. the whole, exactly. So, yeah. so you, 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 you get comfortable just making small tweaks and you understand this compounds under time, over time. So someone once told me that, that Tom Brady, you know, people think Tom Brady is obsessed with winning because he wins a lot and he, he does care about winning or losing. But they said, you know, his real obsession is about getting better, right? Not winning, which mm-hmm. is not fully in your control but getting better. So he's thinking, you know, how can I, how can I release the football quicker, right? How can I improve the accuracy of my throw by a few percentage points, right? How can I make fewer mistakes? How can I, how can I get better every day? And you know that cumulatively that, that adds up. You also know that most people are not getting better every day. So eventually you sort of pull ahead of them. And you know that if you're always getting better, that is going to, over a long enough time span, translate to the outcome that you want, right? So like, I know if I'm getting better as a writer every day, that will have some impact on whether my books sell or not, right? If I focus more, more on what do people think about me or, or whatever, that, that's not only not really in my control, but it's not actually going to translate into a better quality product. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So you also threw in there a little bit. There's so many, my mind's going in so many directions, but I wanted to pick up on something because I know this is such a, something that comes up so often in conversations I have with people in the work that I do, and that's perfectionism. So you threw that out there and you said you've got a chapter in, in the book on that. Can you talk, you just touched on it. Can you talk a little deeper about that? Because it's so relatable to the example that we're giving where we can get so par- paralyzed, as you said, by this perfectionism and where do you think it comes from and what did the Stoics say about that and put that in context for us? I, I tell the story of the dancer, Martha Graham. She she built this, you know, she'd gotten a Guggenheim fellowship and she'd spent months and months working on this dance and it just wasn't where she wanted it to be. She was quite clear that it wasn't her best work. And she sort of, she wants to throw it out. The dancers are, of course, upset because they too have invested all this time. And finally, one of her producing partners comes in and he's like, look, we just got to, we got to ship this thing. You, you're, you're stuck. And, and he tells her, he says, you know, sometimes transitions are as important as achievements. And his point was that if there wasn't, you know, even in Beethoven's work, if some of the mediocre works weren't there, the works that came after them wouldn't have been there. And this idea that sometimes quantity is a way to get to quality, that if you are so convinced with a, a, a 
obsessed with everything being better than what came before, you'll you'll usually get stuck. You won't get that next thing out. And then the thing at you won't be able to learn from what you just did. And 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 understanding that you can't be so precious about it. You have to do your absolute best that you're capable of in that moment. And then you also have to trust the audience a little bit. You have to trust that, that you have to doubt yourself a little bit that maybe like you're you're too close to this to see what's fully there. And I also think this is important. You have to have collaborators or team members who are able to get through to you and say, hey, it's time. Like, you got to go. You you can't fiddle with this forever. Deadlines are, are, are actually, I think, quite important in this regard. Like having a ship date, it comes out on September 26th. If you, you know. It's, you have to it, then track back exactly. to the printing process and the whole cycle of printing. You can't just, I mean, the whole cycle of publishing, you can't just. Yes. And, and I, I, people sometimes think they want, you know, they, they decided to, let's say, self-publish or self-fund or, you know, do a project totally by themselves because they want that freedom. Well, the problem with that freedom is if you don't have extra self-discipline, that freedom will become kind of its own prison, right? Like, you you need so you need those guardrails, those constraints to funnel you towards the thing that maybe you're afraid to do, or the thing that you're intimidated by, or the thing that you know you feel like you're not ready for. You need that forcing function, or you can just get caught in your own head. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you teach about, I mean, we talk about perfectionism and discipline. We actually, that the perfectionism is not discipline. No, right. You need the discipline to be like, this is as good as it's capable of being. I'm going to put my fears or my anxiety or my desire to control everything. I have to get above that and go, here it is. You know, I, I, I remember when the iPhone came out. Steve Jobs is a famous perfectionist, but it's missing tons of features that we now like the original iphone doesn't have a copy and paste feature which w- w- probably drove steve jobs nuts <laughs> but he he understood that part of the reason he got fired from apple the first go around was that his perfectionism had become debilitating and he wasn't able to make pragmatic business decisions mm. that at a certain point where you go this is the deadline we're going to be on that train, you know, no exceptions. And, and that, that is an important skill. And you're right. It's a, it's a matter of discipline. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. I love, I'm glad that you brought in the Steve Jobs. So we came from Marcus Aurelius all the way to the prison to Steve Jobs. And there's our philosophy, you know, two bookends of philosophy meeting. So good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump back to the beginning of a book, book again. And you talk about, it's, it's still in the introduction. And you talk about empowered, unshackled, blessed beyond expectation. Why are we so damn unhappy? And I love that, that we're in an era now. Okay, we kind of already alluded to this. I've been in an, in a, period in history where we can just get anything and not everyone obviously there are parts of the world where this is not reality but there's a large part especially in the United States where you can 
get everything you want. So if that's the case, you know, you make you you make an argument here in this in this introduction about you've got everything, but actually people aren't happy. So and this is a big thing with stoicism. Can, stoicism, can you talk about that? Yeah, I think it was Oscar Wilde said the two tragedies in life are not getting everything you want and then getting everything that you want. We think that you know we want to become powerful and rich and famous and all these things because then we can do whatever we want or because then no one can tell us what to do. But what you find, and I I opened the book with this quote from Eisenhower, he says, you know, freedom is better Mm -hmm. defined as the opportunity for self-discipline. And if you understand that breaking off these shackles, which are important, it's great that the church or the government or your parents or the small town that you lived in, it's great that they have less power over us now than they did Mm -hmm. a generation ago Mm -hmm. or 500 years ago. That's all really important. People should have the freedom to make their own decisions. But you just realize that if you don't substitute that external control for a kind of internal self-command, you're going to crash and burn. And and you have to, like, nobody, nobody can wake up and tell me what I have to do. Just like now with working from home, we all have so much more control over our day, which is wonderful. But you very quickly realize if you don't come up with a routine or a schedule, if you don't have self-discipline, you will not get your work done and then you will miss your deadlines or you will be fired or your company will fail, right? You have to have self-discipline in place of the other discipline that has fallen away. Mm, that's so, it's such basic. I mean, if you think about it, you're saying the most basic instinct of things we as humans need in order to function, but somehow there's this floundering. So you, you, you wonder if the, I mean, the, the, the current messaging of our current environment, which is so focused on, you know, that the compare compete, as I said, and, you know, that all those things you've got to get, get, get in the external, it's really overwritten the need for the internal. So what, you, what you're telling us in your work is bringing us back to remember that internal drive. So yeah, you got the day free. You can plan your own day. Your boss can't see you if you're still in your PJs, and you know if you happen to only start working at maybe ten in the morning or whatever. But there's still you've got to have that discipline to finish what you've got to finish, which is so important. And you also need the discipline, right? The discipline on your discipline, in that you know if you don't have boundaries or you don't have you know a sense of when you've hit the point of diminishing returns, you'll also overwork yourself and burn out right so so you need you need discipline in all senses of the word to be a well-rounded effective healthy person absolutely i can back that up you know if we go if we go push ourselves sort of i know with myself i get so excited about my work and maybe you experience this and i can just keep going and suddenly i realize hey i've done like 12 hours or 15 hours this is not healthy i feel totally. like I, I feel like my mind can keep going but my my mind it can our mind never gets tired but our brain and our conscious mind and our body do get tired and then it's our mind's got to work through something that's tired you know it's those that's the self-discipline to actually say oh let me just do one more hour let me just finish this last chapter or this last thought or this last whatever but then the quality drops off. And so there's a discipline there to actually stop at that point, which is, I think, is what you're basically saying. So we've got to keep ourselves in check or risk ruin. That's what I'm reading here in your book. Or imbalance or dysfunction or dependency. I like that you said that. So that that's the, the ancients had many words and many symbols for what amounts to timeless law of the universe. So just talk a little bit around that concept as well. Well, I think about this, uh, to go to what you're just saying about like the, the point of diminishing returns, like, I'm someone I I like to run. Running is like a a place that I get a lot of peace and satisfaction and health from. But like, if I don't feel good, it's actually easier for me 
to run despite not feeling well than mm. it is to say, I'm going to rest today, right? So again, sometimes we need discipline even for seemingly positive urges or impulses, right? And overwork is one of these, of course. You know, anything that you don't have control over, the Stoics would say, you know, is something to be wary of. You know, Seneca says, show me somebody who isn't a slave, right? So some people he said are literally slaves, but he's like, this person is a slave to their mistress. This person is a slave to their work. You know, this person is a slave to power. He says, this person is a slave to the slaves that they own. Obviously, Rome being a, a slave owning yeah. society. His point was like their estate or their the the pro like they can't go out of town because this thing is commanding too much of their attention or energy. And so, you know, deciding like, hey, am I in control of the device or is the device in control of me? Right? Am I doing the work or am I being worked on? Right. To, you mm. you have to have this this sort of sense of like what is enough, what's an appropriate amount, what's too much, you know, when when the correct stopping point is. This is really, really important. Oh, I like that so much. You know, just talking about you talk about the your body. If you're feeling sick and you push yourself to go run, you could actually end up, you know, damaging your body, but you want to go yeah. run because it makes you feel good and your mind is so strong and so well developed that you think, oh well, my body will just line up. And it, it may do, but you could also then go pull a muscle or create something. I had a similar experience recently where I just thought I had gastro. Meanwhile, I had a burst appendix, but I just ignored it. Didn't think it was anything more than four days later, I nearly died of septic shock. I mean, this just happened a couple of weeks back and I had to go in for emergency surgery. But my mind was fine. And I never forget the nurse saying to me, you look fine, but you're dying. I mean, that was literally what this nurse said to me. And I had like hours left to live, but I'm here. I'm lived, I'd love to tell the tale. The point being is that I didn't apply wisdom. And my mind was so used to going that there was a discipline that was lacking in my own life to listen to the signals of my body. So just, I mean, just like emphasizing what you said just kind of made me think about it. No, you're, 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 you're totally right. It's like, I don't want to work out because I want to stay in shape. And then I work out and I hurt myself. And now I have to take more time off than the one day I was worried about missing. Right. And so we often bring about the thing we were so rigid about insisting on because we're, we're worried about an outcome. We bring about that very outcome because we're not disciplined. That's that's and this is what I love about your expanded version of discipline because people when they hear the word discipline they kind of see it in a negative way oh this is a book about you know telling me what I can't do but it's not this is a book about people understanding the wisdom behind discipline I know wisdom's your fourth book coming up but the you know kind of this is overarching wisdom for all of us all the time no it totally and and it's important yeah that we realize that discipline takes a lot of forms you know. For a lot of people, discipline is, hey, you got to get your butt off the couch and get to work, right? But for some of us, it's that you got to get your butt out of the chair and go home and be with your children yeah. or, you know, back into the chair outside. and take a break. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it comes from in, in all shapes and sizes. Now, I'm still stuck in the introduction here, but I want to ask you one thing here. In this sense, we're all in the same boat. The fortunate as well as the, I just want to check where I want to read from, unfortunate must figure out how to manage their emotions, abstain from what would be abstained from, what standards to observe. We must master ourselves unless you prefer to be mastered by someone or something else. 
the reason I really that really appealed to me is that something that I talk about a lot in, in the work that I do is that, you know, if you don't manage your mind, you're going to be this flailing ship in the sea or whatever, and being con- you're going to be shaped by everything around you, including social media in our current age. So this really appealed to me as a self-discipline aspect. I really like this concept. Can you talk about that? Well, I, I think it's just important that we realize that discipline is this great equalizer, right? The the president has to be disciplined. They can't just say what every thought every thought that pops into their well, mind. Some of them do. <laughs> Sorry, I <laughs> and they get them. In. No, no, and they get themselves in trouble, right? Like yeah. uh, the, the president has to be strict with themselves. They can't work others too hard. They have to be careful about what they say, what they don't say. You know, the, you have to be disciplined when you have power. And then if you don't have power, you have to be disciplined if you want to work your way out of that situation. Again, whether it's fair or not, it's yeah. true, right? Like if you were born into poverty and you want to get out of poverty, right? You can't just buy whatever you want. It, 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 obviously, you can't buy a lot of things you want because you can't afford them. Mm-hmm. But even with the money that you have, you're going to have to be disciplined, right? Because you're going to have to save. You're going to have to scrimp. You're going to have to be creative with what you have because what you have is so limited. And so, so discipline is this thing that we all have to, we all have to work on. The person on the way up in sports and the person at the top, they both have to be disciplined in their own way. It's that need and our struggle with that that also creates, I think, the opportunities for greatness. That's excellent. You also talk about further on in the book, I don't remember which chapter it was, you talk about hustle and you talk about, but your version of hustle is different to the current hustle culture, which people are kind of fighting against. So we have this, on the one side, we have this, and I've actually done an interview with someone about the hustle culture being dangerous, but you talk, you look at it very differently. Can you talk about that? And just well, kind of a, relate it to the there's, there's a Latin expression that, that one of the emperors was fond of. It, it was it, It's festina lente which means make haste slowly. So again, this goes to our, our point. You know, often we think that hustle is faster, faster, faster. But if because you went fast, you have to go back and do it again, that wasn't the fastest way to do it, right? And so you want to work as quickly as possible, but the, the it, operative word there is as possible, right? W- without making mistakes, without missing things, without messing up, without burning yourself out. And so when, when I, it is important that you bring energy and enthusiasm and, and celerity to whatever it is that you're doing. And yet you also have to bring a kind of restraint because if you rush something, and, and I have this tendency in my work, if I rush the project because there's a deadline, you know, I, like I, I told you, I had this sort of moment of despair yeah. with the book. Like there, I, I, I was between a rock and a hard place because one, I was concerned that, hey, this was going to be harder than I thought. And so I'm going to really have to do, I'm going to have to work hard to get it done. Then there's this other part of me that says, or do I need to ask for more time, which is also possible, right? And so there's this tension. And when we think of self-discipline, I think the the Stoics, the other word for this is temperance. Aristotle famously talks about the golden mean, that, that, that most virtues are in the middle of two vices. So going too fast and going not fast enough are the the extremes and in the middle is the exact right speed. You're going to have to be disciplined about that. Mm, that goes to, 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 oopsie, 
I couldn't get the word out, statistics. You know, it's the mean that you want to look at in terms of where you're going in terms of research. I do a lot of research studies and my statisticians, team of statisticians are always going on about the mean. And that's true, that Aristotle's golden mean. I love that. I mean, it's it's so accurate that we don't get you know, go to either extreme and we bring that to that golden mean. That's really beautiful. Okay, you have the book organized into different areas. And the first is, that we'll do, just tell us the tell us the three areas and then just take us through a little bit of each one. You've got some great, you know, great titles and things, but I'd love people to understand that the way you've divided it and concepts covered under each section. Yeah, so so I split the book up into three parts. One, the, the first is a sort of physical discipline. You know, this is hard work. This is routine. This is structure of your life. And then the the next part is sort of temperament, right? This is the discipline of how you act as a person, how you regulate your emotions and, and so on and so forth. And then the final discipline would be a kind of the heroic level of that when we take it to the penultimate, you know, I think about the the discipline of like a Martin Luther King being attacked violently. And he's able to restrain himself, not only not only emotionally, but also physically. This is mm-hmm. challenging every part of him as a human being. That, to me, is the kind of heroic level of self-discipline that ultimately we should all be aspiring to in our own way, according to our own beliefs. Amazing. I love that. I love that example that you gave because people, it's so relatable. Wouldn't it be nice to have something you can carry with you that helps you manage your stress levels? Apollo is a new wearable device that improves the way your body deals with stress that we face daily as human beings. It can help you sleep better, stay calm, focus more, be more present and feel less overwhelmed. The Apollo wearable was developed by neuroscientists and physicians. It delivers gentle, soothing vibrations that condition your nervous system to recover and rebalance after stress. It's like wearing, it's like a wearable hug for the nervous system using touch therapy to help you feel safe and in control. I love that the Apollo is a safe, natural way to feel your best without drugs or any unwanted side effects. It has been studied in multiple clinical trials and real-world studies and has been shown to support up to 40% less stress and feelings of anxiety, up to 19% more time in deep sleep, and up to 25% increase in focus and concentration. Apollo trains the nervous system to cope with stress better over time, which is why I wear my Apollo device on my wrist for a few sessions a day, even when I'm traveling. It's super easy to travel with if you are always on the go like me. Indeed, I love that my Apollo device helps me manage stress and improve my sleeping patterns especially during the times when I'm extra busy traveling for conferences and trying to get stuff done. Do you want to improve your sleep, relaxation, focus, recovery, and mindfulness habits? Try Apollo today. Get $40 off the Apollo wearable at apolloneuro.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. That's $40 off at apolloneuro.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. So easy to get triggered by a situation and to, sure. you know, we see that lack of discipline in the current political political climate where these people are just being so reactive. There's no discipline in that, is there? I mean, we, we can look out affecting people's mental health. For sure. For sure. I think you need to be giving the politicians a little lesson on stoicism, especially discipline. So let's just talk about some of the titles that I find intriguing and then the way that you, you know, just handle them. I, I don't know which ones to choose because they're all in a, a, a they all stand out to me, but I think the uh, 
maybe avoid the superfluous and sweat the small stuff. We've done the hustle, hustle, hustle. I, you know, slow down to go fast. You kind of, you in the practice, you've kind of hit on those. So let's just talk about the avoid, avoid the superfluous and sweat the small stuff. Because those are kind of people say don't sweat the small stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued with how you handle that. Well, when, when, when we say don't sweat the small stuff, it is true. Don't sweat things that don't matter. But as we were talking about with writing, often the, the little, little things do matter, right? The devil is in the details, Admiral Rickover famously said, but so is salvation, right? The little things really matter. And so you, you have to care about these little things because they add up in a big way. So it's not like, hey, what other people said about me or this or that. It's, you know, I, I really sweat the details of my work, the day-to-dayness of it, because it adds up cumulatively to who I want to be. And then when we think about superfluous, th- these ideas are related in that, you know, a lot of the things that people chase or value, they're not worth sweating, right? It's, you know, where did I land on the bestseller list? Like, there's no difference between third and fourth place, right? That we should be measuring ourselves on such a long timeline that, that 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 distinction becomes irrelevant with each passing day, right? Or or we so think, good. you know, what what is other what do other people think about me? Well, that's not something you control, right? Or I want to have the nicest house or the nicest car, right? These are things that not only put you in an endless rat race with other people, like the after a certain point, there's no difference. There's no added pleasure or value from it. And so just realizing what's truly important, what you actually matter. Sometimes these things are small. Sometimes they're big, but you've got to figure out what they are. This is what I love about your work, Ryan, is that you'll take things that people will throw out there and you give us another angle because they're not sweating the small stuff. I think a lot of people have mixed that up with a superfluous thing. So it's those little things like something, like as you say, that you didn't get maybe the NYT, but you got something else. Or And, and, and does, it, do you, does your success have to be measured by what three white men or whatever say about your book kind of thing? Or exactly. is it more important about the discussion you and I are having now and the impact that these concepts have on you know, the thousands of listeners who hear this this information that will give them a sense of peace. You know, it's it's like the superfluous is those that that measurement that's so so fine it's so finite versus the infinite. I love I love how you spin that angle. And in the detail side, that's true. We you know you you can't just go and skip past a concept. You can't go and quote someone incorrectly. You know that's a detail you have to pay attention to. You, know, you can't go and say this is this is Aristotle when it was Mark, Marcus Aurelius. Those are the, you know that's how I understand when you talk about the detail. So yeah, I love the spin you give on things that we can so easily fall into the, the wrong angle. Okay, so let's let's talk about the inner domain, the temperament, everything like it is. Do you want to just walk through a general thing or do you want to pick out some of the – shall I throw some things at you? No, I, I could talk about it generally. Okay. I mean, obviously, like our diet, our workouts, our our physical discipline is really, really important. But somebody who's who's very – committed to what they do that like let's say they're a world-class athlete but but they pop off anytime they're provoked or anytime they're criticized you know this is already undermining all that work they're doing Mm. over there so you know discipline just physical discipline in isolation is only going to get you so far the full package is can you resist when you're taunted can you resist when you're provoked can you resist when you're tired and and hungry and and you feel like losing your temper right like you have to have so this good. command of yourself because that's what life is it's sort of an endless series of provocation 
I love that. As you were talking about the the athlete, I was thinking of McEnroe. <laughs> I don't know if you remember McEnroe, yeah, how he was famous for throwing a tantrum on the tennis court. Brilliant player. But what do we all remember McEnroe for? More than his game, we remember his temper. And so that kind of goes to your point there. I want to just kind of, can you get back? No, no, not that one. That's kind of the battle against pleasure would grab my attention. And there was, which is the other one here? Uh, wait for the sweet fruit. Let's just touch a little bit on those. Wait, do, wait for the sweet fruit. Start there. Well, well, they're related, right? I'm talking about patience. Okay, you see, I picked all the ones that are related. Hey, I'm reading your mind there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it was Aristotle. He said, he said something about how patience is bitter, but the fruit is sweet. And, you know, the idea of getting it right now because you want it is really the problem. You have, you have to be able to delay gratification. You have to be able to resist this, the, the, the temptations here or there. And there's nobody who's having less pleasure than the person who does nothing but chase pleasure, right? We mm. think of the Epicureans as being these hedonists, but Epicurus was really saying that, you know, hey, if it causes a hangover, how pleasurable was it really? Beautiful. That's such a, that's, ex- that's excellent. Absolutely amazing. I love that. I'm glad you brought that one up. Okay. So then the other thing, yeah, I think you've, you covered that. Let's go to the third part of your book. I want to touch on that before we end the interview. So the magisterial, this, have you covered? Yeah, it's the third part, the magisterial, the soul. I love that yeah, word, the magisterial. It, it's, it's that higher level of discipline, right? You know, again, the discipline to say, resist criticizing somebody at work is a necessary skill for a CEO. And then we think about, you know, again, a Martin Luther King resisting Uh, or the civil rights protesters, you know, you you think about what it takes to be one of these people at the highest level when the whole world is attacking you or criticizing you or throwing things at you, you know, there's, there is a level above just like not losing your temper. Right. And I think that the real level of self-discipline is understanding that it is called self-discipline for a reason. One of the things that happens often people who were who are so strict with themselves think that this gives them the right to be very strict or demanding of other people. And one of my favorite quotes from Marcus Aurelius is tolerant with others, strict with yourself. Again, it's self-discipline. I can only hold myself to these standards. So brilliant. That's so brilliant. Then I wanted to end off this sort of section with endure the unendurable because of this being a podcast that really focuses around cleaning up the mental mess and us trying to create a new narrative for being human and that mental health is part of that humanity. So many people, when they're going through tremendous trauma or have experienced tremendous trauma in their past, we honor that and we reconceptualize that and go through that. Your story never changes, never goes away, but you change how it plays out into your future by changing how you see it. So part of that is enduring the unendurable, which feels like something we can't do because in current day and age, if you feel any emotion that's any emotion that's maybe considered bad, you told you kind of told that's a symptom of something that's a brain disease and you need to suppress it, which is incredibly bad wisdom. Because that emotion is not a, a thing, it is a warning signal that there's something that we need to go deep down inside this magisterial part of us and work out, you know, what it is and then grapple with this hard stuff. So I think, you know, that kind of is what you say, but just in terms of that foundation, talk about the enduring the unendurable which we've kind of forgotten about doing in this day and age. No, look, life is painful, right? Life breaks our heart, right? There are moments when 
it feels like everything's falling apart, that it will never get better. But that's precisely when you need that kind of self-discipline. It does get better, especially if, if one makes it better or one is willing to ask for help or open themselves up to, to different kinds of solutions. And so, you know, I think it's really important that we, we recognize the discipline required for a depressed person to get out of bed each morning. Right. To keep going despite what they're struggling with. The, the person who, 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 despite their, you know, chronic pain, you know, keeps going. The person who, despite the grief that they, you know, they're feeling, they get up every day and they take care of their children. Right. Like th- this kind of courage and strength and fortitude is, is ultimately what gets us through those, those dark moments in life. So good. I have developed over the last 38 years a system called the NeuroCycle, which is based on all this research. And the bottom line is that you it's a system of how you can get the messy mind to tap into the wisdom, this magisterial, this wisdom that's deep inside of us, deep down inside of us, and directs the changes in your life. So what's happened to you doesn't change, but how you how how it looks like what it looks like inside of you and how it plays out your future can change. So what I see by just just looking at your work over the years, is just to contextualize this for my viewers who hear me talk about this. This is your book provides material and and the way you've approached stoicism provides a way for people to actually ask the question, which is actually a step four of the process that I've developed, which is this has happened now, what can I do about it? And so it provides endless guidance for that process. And if you don't get to that process, you, you you can't just be aware. You you have to actually go through the painful process, which is what sort of first step is to be aware and then you go through the work. And then you've got to get to the point where you can reconceptualize and then actually then put into action. And the self-discipline is very much related to that too. But I think all your works, not just this one, but all four books. So as I said, we need to do part one, two, three, four. So my final question to you or comment is well done, brilliant, outstanding. And I can see so much application and help for people that are already using the systems that I use in your book. But I'd love you just to maybe sort of pivot over to children and, you know, all ages from three children are very insightful already from the age of two months, they are able to intuit and that kind of thing. And how would you talk about stoicism and children and the work that you do? Well, I have two young children. My oldest is turning six in a month or so, and my, my youngest is three. And, and I, I did these two kids' books on, on, on stoicism. One's called the, the Boy Who Would Be King, and the other is The Girl Who Would Be Free. But, but I think at the root of it is this idea we've said several times, which is hard for us to understand as adults, but it does matter. It's that we don't control what happens. We control how we respond. We control what happens next. And, and focusing our efforts there, but also as parents, modeling that is probably the most important thing that we can do. Oh, I love that. I've just finished my, finished a book and it's how to help parents to help their children to manage their mental health. And, you know, it's, it sort of just aligns so much with the concepts that you're saying, but it's like a very practical step-by-step guide. And I see this as being something that could actually help parents, your book can help parents to understand my book. Literally. I mean, that's it's just the, the, the complementary aspects. They are amazing. 
Ryan, this has been absolutely wonderful and I feel we could talk for hours and I'm really looking forward to having you back to talk about courage. I would love that. And definitely, and then once you've got justice and wisdom done, obviously we need to do those as well. So thank you for your time. Do you have any final parting words of wisdom before we tell people, give us some stoicism, wisdom that that we can leave with, with our viewers and listeners and then just tell us where people can find yeah, you, you can find my stuff at ryanholiday.net. I do an email about stoicism each day at dailystoic.com. And it's so simple, but it's so important. We don't control what happens. We control how we respond. I'll, I'll repeat that one more time before I go. That is absolutely perfect. And it's something that I say to people all the time, let's learn to respond, not react. So thank you for your time Amazing. and your wisdom. It's been fantastic. I've enjoyed it so much and look forward to our next conversations. Thanks for having me. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leith. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors.